You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the show. Getting going in hour number three, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Big show with Russick and Rose. Russick will be back next week. I'm Matty Rose. Peter Klein joining me for the rest of the week. Very excited that he's stopping by. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet, former Major League catcher, is going to join us just after 8.30. But right now, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline from 3 Down Nation, he is your CFL insider. He is Justin Dunk. Hi, J.D. What's going on, man? Not much, fellas. Just kicking it, getting going on a Monday morning here. Beautiful one in the GTA. What about you guys? Yeah, so far so good out here in uh, lovely Calgary, Alberta. Um, just watched a little bit of golf over the weekend, watched a little bit of football over the weekend. Yeah, the golf was what it was, but the football was pretty sweet. Let's start with the, the Stampeders and, uh, yesterday, the Ottawa Red Blacks. We've just been lamenting the Stampeders a little bit throughout the show today because it feels like they can get stretches where each phase plays well. But this team is just finding it hard to string together good plays, solid momentum, and really get in a little bit of a groove. Eventually, something happens that just stops them in their tracks. Have you felt the same watching the red and white this season? Definitely. And the word that I would use there that's become a buzzword in pro football is complementary football. That you see it in spurts from the Stampeders. They haven't been able to put it together for multiple games this season. They haven't won two games in a row or even... At times during games, they can look like a completely different team. So I think that is probably the case for a lot of teams in the league. The top teams limit those spurts and don't allow it to come back and hurt them in the game when they make mistakes or just play smart football, right? Like going to an out net isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're still winning the field position game. The Blue Bombers have done that really well for years. I think that's what the Argonauts are doing great right now and especially the bc lions with the way that their defense is playing so you see flashes of it from the stampeders but as dave dickinson alluded to after the game that he wants to see this team build some momentum when you looked at the numbers going into the game um ottawa led the league in 30 plus yard completions allowed and the stampeders looked like they were able to expose that once again in the game yesterday obviously in a losing effort but what have you seen from Jake Mayer as far as you know being able to push the ball downfield this felt like a big step for him it really did I thought it was a game that showed his upside but then also showed where he needs to grow so I think for the positives yes he's throwing the ball down the field more it looks like that connection with Mark and Michelle, pretty obvious, right? Has developed quickly, and it seems like there's a trust there. Trey Odoms-Dukes obviously had a big game as well. Reggie Bagleton was out there doing his thing. So I think you have some guys there that you can look at and say, hey, they've got multiple playmakers. Clark Barnes had his first career touchdown. Shout out the University of Guelph product there. And that group that they're putting together there, you can see what's going on with the receivers. But the downside of Mayer is situational football. And that interception in the fourth quarter with the Stampeders up by four ended up in an Ottawa touchdown going back the other way for the Red Blocks on offense led by Dustin Crum. So that situational awareness needs to be better for Mayer in those situations. Don't force a ball in there. It's on first down. You have the lead by four. You know, it's getting later into the fourth quarter. 
And that's an example I'm talking about where some of these other teams will play complementary football where the Blue Bombers usually, it's been a little bit different this year, won't turn the football over in this that situation. They'll take a two-and-out, punt the football deep, and make the Red Blacks go the length of the field. So those are the types of things that are not allowing the Stampeders team to consistently win football games. Those kind of mistakes with Mayer, are those fixable? Like, is that something at this level you can coach out of someone, or is that just kind of imprinted in his DNA at this point? I think it's definitely something that he can get better at and that you can coach out of him, and I'm sure he's going to look on film, going to hate seeing that throw into coverage there, and it just didn't look like he was confident when he let it go, right? The ball kind of fluttered, it gets tipped around, and Alonzo Adai makes the interception, but even if that ball would have been thrown on time or on more of a line, it still was a dicey throw, right? So I think it's just the situational awareness that he needs to get used to as QB1 for this team, that you can't make those types of decisions and put the football up for grabs there. I'm sure he's going to have a lengthy conversation with Dave Dickinson about it because he did it just a few weeks ago in that overtime loss against Saskatchewan, that key interception, and said, well, you know, he would have made that throw again, but on hindsight and even reviewing it, I hope that he realized that you just can't do that in those situations. You need to be smart with the football, especially late in games. There are going to be situations where you might have to step up and make a tighter window throw, you know, especially if you're behind. But in some of those situations, I think you need to make better reads and be more protective of the football. So I think it's something that he can get better at and be coached out of, especially with Dave Dickinson there. On the other side, um, Dustin Crum did not look like a quarterback who was only playing uh, his second CFL game. Uh, I know we're, we're only a couple games into the, the Dustin Crum experience in Ottawa, but do you think that the Red Blacks have kind of found a, a dude there at quarterback? It seems like it, and I like how you emphasize that. It's only been two games, but that's all we can evaluate him off of. And what's really impressed me about Dustin Crum, especially in the second start in Calgary at McMahon Stadium, was him getting rid of the football quickly and making decisive decisions. And even when he's running the football, you can see it. He's not dancing around and going east-west, whether it's a called run play or a scramble or something that's off schedule. He's been very decisive. And I think that's something that a lot of young quarterbacks throughout our country, whatever age group you're in, can learn from playing this game. And if you're a young player trying to learn the CFL game, as a quarterback coming up from the United States, I think that's something that you can take away from what Dustin Crum has done, especially against the Stampeders defense. He was getting the ball out quickly in rhythm on time. And I think to bring it back to Jake Mayer, that's what Jake Mayer does well when he's playing his best. So Mm. Crum, as he continues to evolve here, and we'll see if defenses start to scheme up against some of his tendencies, but if he continues to get the ball out in rhythm, make smart decisions, and not turn the football over, then I think he has a huge upside here and potentially a lengthy CFL career in front of him. There was uh, one quote from Dave Dickinson at the end of his scrum yesterday that certainly stood out for me. I'm just going to play a little snippet of it here and and, and maybe get your thoughts on it after. Uh, this was Dave Dickinson speaking about next steps for the group as they prepare for their game against Montreal on Sunday. You can't continually you know, make the same calls or coach the same way if the players aren't responding and we're not winning. That's it. That's it, coaches. We, we found ways to change that up a couple years ago, and the players responded. So now we have to find the same ways 
or we got to get new players. That's the other. That's the other option. So uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Haven't heard something like that from Dave Dickinson before. Obviously, he's the general manager now. Things were a little bit different, but and I I don't want to name guys. I don't even know if there's anybody that comes to mind. But is there maybe a position group on the Stampeders or or a phase that you think needs to maybe pay a little bit of extra attention to a quote like that? Uh, I think it's honestly just Dave Dickinson probably. Being frustrated is not the right word, but just sort of voicing the realities of what's going on with this team right now. And you look back at 2021, and that's what he referenced, right? The team started two and five before finishing six and one on that mini heater or the heater that Dickinson wanted them to go on. And the coaching staff, you know, did change some things up, as he said, and the team took to it. So I don't think it's as easy as changing players just because of some of the contracts that these guys are in, right? Jake Mayer, unless he plays horribly is going to be the starting quarterback for this team based on his contract. It's in and around $400,000 and the guaranteed money that he has in that second year. Like we haven't seen Chris Jones go away from Taylor Cornelius, partly due to what they've committed to that guy in the partially guaranteed portion of his contract in the second year. So I don't think you're going to change up a lot of the players. And you, you look at offense, you know, we were talking about it earlier. You can see the talented nucleus that this team has in the receiving core with Mark and Michelle there now, Trey Adams, Jukes, Clark Barnes, Reggie Bagleton, Cole Tucker, like Dedrick Mills running the ball. If Kadeem Carey gets healthy, like I think the offense looks really good. In this case, I think it was the defense that needed to play better in this game. And it just seems to me like it's frustration, right? The stamps seem like they're so close here. They've lost two games in overtime we'd be talking about this team much differently if they won those games and they weren't standing where they are right now, fourth in the West division, two and four, they'd be four and two. So a couple of plays could easily change this. And I think that's what, for me, at least I take away from Dickinson's comments is just the frustration of knowing how close this team is to being really good. One of the things that's been a story for the league all year, and, and maybe even goes back a couple of years, but it's injuries to quarterbacks. You look around the league, Ottawa's down to their third-string guy. Hamilton's down to their third-string guy. Saskatchewan's playing with Mason Fine right now. Vernon Adams Jr. just got hurt this past weekend. Calgary, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, they have their normal quarterback. Same with Toronto, same with Montreal, but four teams that have been dealing with a lot of quarterback turnover. What did you make about the latest one, the injury to Vernon Adams Jr. and what that means for the Lions? It seems like he's not going to be out for that long. Based on some people I've talked to, they think that there's a chance that he might even play this week against the Edmonton Elks. But honestly, if I'm the Lions, you got Dane Evans as a backup there. You know he has experience in this league. I would sit Vernon Adams Jr. down, let him rest up. I know you're probably feeling like you're walking into a Hornets in Edmonton because the Elks haven't won at home in 20 straight games. <laughs> They're eventually probably going to get a win there, but I don't think it's this week because that BC defense is that <laughs> good. So I would sit Vernon Adams Jr. down, let Dane Evans do his thing. There's enough playmakers there that I think they can get it done. And Dane Evans already showed that in week seven when he came in against the Rough Riders and guided them to a win after Adams Jr. got hurt. So it's not great for the league to see these quarterbacks getting hurt, but I think the league actually has done a really good job of protecting the quarterbacks more. I know that sounds weird to say with all these injuries, but it's been – kind of some fluky injuries I think that have happened here and ones that are not happening because of guys taking cheap shots like Garrett Marino that the rules don't sort of protect these quarterbacks from. So 
it's not great, but it doesn't seem like Vernon Adams Jr. is going to be out long term. With all these injuries comes a lot of opportunity for a lot of different guys. We just talked about one in, in Ottawa with Crum and how he played against Calgary. H- has anyone else stood out to you from the the long list of new quarterbacks we've had a chance to to get our eyes on over the last little bit? Has anyone stood out either positively or negatively, I guess? And it's interesting, right? Because Jeremiah Masoli gets hurt and the Red Blacks go win two games and all of a sudden, you know, it gets forgotten about a little bit because you have this guy in Dustin Crum who's become a quick sensation. The one guy that stands out from a positive aspect for me is Taylor Powell. He seems like he has an intriguing skill set. He's been fairly productive right away. There's obviously still a lot of things that he needs to learn and get comfortable with in terms of being a starting quarterback in this league, but he's got some rushing ability and I like the way that he's been able to throw the football down the field early in his CFL career. I think on the other side that it's only been one start with Mason Fine there as a quarterback with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but you want to see more from him. That said, he's going against what is, for my money right now, the best defense in the CFL and the BC Lions, and he was on the road there. So it's going to be a tough ask, though, you know, kind of week to week here. He's going to go out to Halifax. I'll be there for the touchdown Atlantic game with my colleague John Hodge for three down nation, and he's going to have to go against the arguably second-best defense in the CFL that Corey Mace is running for the Toronto Argonauts. So it's not going to get any easier, but what I liked from Fine was the high completion percentage. And even though it took him a lot of throws, 31 completions just to get 278 yards, at least he's completing the football, right? If you get completions in this league, you're probably moving the change. He just cannot afford to turn the football over, especially against these high-level defenses. So I like Powell's upside. And I think Fine's upside is there, but he's got to prove it. I'm happy you went there because as as someone who maybe has roots back in that province, um, I was terrified at how that looked. But you're right. Like that (laughs) is, it's one of the best defenses in the league in BC. Like very few quarterbacks coming into their first start in a while are going to have that. Um, For for Saskatchewan and for Fine, like you said, going up against Toronto, it doesn't get easier this week. How, How long of a leash do you think that is? Or is he the guy until Harris maybe possibly maybe comes back at the end of this season? I think you got to give them some time, right? Too often in this league and in professional sports, you want players to pop right away, whatever position it is. And I understand that you need to produce, and that's what it's about being a pro athlete. But it can take some time, right? Not everybody's going to be like Dustin Crumb. And I think that's what the riders will do with Mason Fine because they do really believe in him and his production at the University of North Texas with the Mean Green there. They loved him. They had him on the neg list for a while, and they were excited to just even get him up here. So to finally have, have him as your starting guy, I think you need to give him a little bit of time to try to get used to this. Not everybody can be Dustin Crum or Cody Fajardo right away back in 2019 when he took the stage after Zach Kolaris was hit by some Willie Lawrence. So I think give Mason Fine a little more time it would be different if his completion percentage was below 50%. And I know Rodgers fans want to see him push the ball down the field more, but you also don't want to force it. And maybe Fine wasn't comfortable there throwing it into coverage. I know he still had a couple of interceptions there, but give Fine some time so we can decide if he actually is fine as a quarterback or not so fine. 
Well, it's a traditionally very patient fan base in Saskatchewan, so I, I'm sure it'll be all right there. Um, you, you mentioned Touchdown Atlantic um, with the, the Riders heading out there this weekend to, to play Toronto. Um, obviously, people in Halifax are dealing with a lot more than just, hey, are we going to get a CFL team? Uh, but where are we at on a, on a 10th team heading to the Atlantic provinces? It feels like where the progress has been on this has varied wildly over the years. So where are we at here in 2023 on that? Some people would tell you it's varied wildly over the past 40 years or it should have been done like 30, 20, 10 years ago. From what I've been told and talking to people out there and obviously I'll be on the ground there for a handful of days during this Touchdown Atlantic week coming up here this week is that there is interest there. There is some positivity, but it does seem like it is still a little ways off. Randy Ambrosi, I think, is out here getting a little bit in front of himself, but I think the positivity that he's spouting right now about a potential team out there is actually somewhat real, but I think it's going to take a while. And it seems like, based on the people that I've talked to, that any potential stadium that's going to happen would be tied to St. Mary's University at this point, and that's a possible way to get it done, but it is early stages there are some interested parties out there in terms of ownership bruce bowser was involved in the latest attempt and i've heard that he's still excited about the possibility of potentially bringing a team out there but you gotta have an owner first right at least they had that before the pandemic and they had that conditional funding from the city of halifax it was going to be 20 million dollars if they went through all the other stages but it's a much different time as you mentioned they're dealing with floods and the realities of housing and dealing with, you know, inflation and making sure that the citizens of that city are taken care of, not having a pro football team out there. But I think there is reason to be positive about it, but it's still a long way to go. It is a long way to go for sure. Uh, What are you most looking forward to with touchdown Atlantic? Honestly, getting to see Chad Kelly and the Argonauts in a situation that is different for them, right? He knows what it's like to go on the road into a different opposing stadium and how you're going to be treated there. And then he's been very comfortable at BMO field, but seeing Chad Kelly, you know, out on the East coast, sort of away from the friendly confines of Toronto that I think he's gotten really used to and really likes, but how does he deal with this right now? The Argos are the undefeated team in the league that everybody's expecting big things from for them to go to the great cup. So I think it's very quickly changed now from the Argos and what will they be with Chad Kelly to the Argos are the undefeated team in the league. Now and we expect Chad Kelly to get them to a great cup. At least I do. It might be too early to put it on him in that way, but I think the way that he's gone about things in terms of a mental approach has been great but let's see if he can continue building on what has been a hot start for Toronto. I don't think it's a shocker to say he's probably the MOP favorite right now, but who's in that conversation with him in your eyes? Vernon Adams Jr. would have to be there. I know he got hurt last week, but the way that he's throwing the football, I would think that he needs to be there. I think you can still make an argument for Zach Kolaris, but really I think right now as the Argos continue this streak. I think they're 5-0 and for the first time since 1960 or something like that, which is wild, <laughs> that it has to be Chad Kelly. I think you can have some other people in that race, and Vernon Adams Jr. would be the other guy I look to right now. And Zach Kolaris did enter 
week six leading the league in passing. So I think it would be between those three guys right now. And it's early, right? We're only about a third of the way through the season. There might be some other players in there. Like if you really want to pound the table for Brady Oliveira, who led the league in rushing going into week six, or I just don't think you can look at any of these receivers who are legitimately in the conversation as good as some of them have started this season. So I think it would be between those three quarterbacks with Chad Kelly as the favorite right now. Always enjoy the chat. Always enjoy the chat, JD. Uh, thanks for the time, man. Enjoy you a touchdown. Hopefully, you get your voice back for the rest of the week. I go on one little vacation, come back, and everything is just gone to. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, hey, enjoy it, buddy. We'll talk soon. Hey, sounds good, fellas. There you go, Justin Dunk, Three Down Nation. Join us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, fifteen-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at sixty sixty Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. We've already got a couple of... um, I'm going to switch the topic over to the NFL for a second here. Okay. Um, We've talked a lot of CFL today. But NFL training camps are underway. We have two injuries already sustained. Oh, great. That are quite significant. Um, One, we talked about a little bit earlier on in the show, actually. Naheem Hines, running back for the Buffalo Bills, formerly Mm -hmm. the Indianapolis Colts, suffered a knee injury off-site, and is going to miss the entire season. God, that sucks. He was sitting stationary on a jet ski and was hit by another jet ski. What? And suffered non-life-threatening injuries. All right, well, that is uh, not what I was anticipating when we were discussing a uh, off-the-field injury for Naheem Hines. Right? Oh, yeah, doing a squat, and just like a knee went sideways or something yeah, like that. Not... Oh, yeah, no, of course, a jet ski rammed into him. That's uh, obviously what happened. That's terrifying. That from uh, Tom Pilicero of the NFL Network. Struck by another rider and sustained serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Required surgery, missed the 2023 season. It's a significant knee injury for sure. Um, so that is uh, a little bit wild. And then also in Detroit, uh, one of their biggest additions, uh, defensive back C.J. Gardner-Johnson. That's mm-hmm. a significant player. Yep. Uh, non-contact knee injury. Oh, those aren't good either. Uh, carted off the field, visibly upset. Team captain Bugs and Goff made it a point to go comfort him, hoping for better news than it looked. But, uh, yeah, you never like to see a non-contact injury, especially when people are... Calling it a knee that usually makes you think one of the ligaments. Yeah, one of the CLs. Just one of the CLs. Popped. Typically with a football player would be the A or the M. Yeah. But uh, like. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. It's either that or Achilles typically with non, non-contact, right? Yeah. And so. neither of them. None of those are good. N- none no. of those. None no. of those end quickly. That's usually a season. Yeah. Non-contact knee injury. Yeah, he's out a couple of weeks. Like, well, yeah, he's going to walk again, so that'll be all yeah, right. Yeah, that's good. Um, 100%. Man, that's so, tough for Detroit, who really wants to make some noise in that division, which feels very up for grabs this year. Extremely up for grabs. And he was one of their big additions, because the thing was, hey, we can throw the ball, but we just can't stop the ball. Right. And, you know, he's looked at one of those guys that would have really helped shut that down. So. Oh, that's really tough. Tough one for Lions fans, and to a lesser extent, Bills fans. Like, yeah. Well, you I- know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, Hines, Hines added a bit of uh, a dynamic weapon out of the backfield for Buffalo that didn't really have before For that. fantasy owners, it just means that that Buffalo backfield is going to be that much more enticing because typically it is something that you want to avoid like the plague right? because they got like six guys and they'll all get <laughs> like three touches a game and that's just how they've operated out of the backfield lately. But yeah. Alas, that's the way she goes. Naheem Hines going to miss the whole season. We don't know about C.J. Gardner-Johnson, but a big 
injury for him as uh, NFL training camps are underway. It's kind of crazy. The Hall of Fame game is in like what two weeks? Yeah, it's like basically right here. Yeah, and it's beginning of September. This stuff. Season. Oh yeah, I, I have to start preparing. How many fantasy leagues you in? Uh, but, 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 I think it's gonna be three. Okay, maybe four. Right now it's two, and I think there's gonna be at least one addition in there as well. I have uh, I have five, and coming out of last year, I was like, oh, five is certainly too many. I need to cut one of them. And now, as we've mentioned, it's July, and probably too late to bail on some of these. So yeah, you kind of have to let people know, like right after you've uh, you know, handed over your uh, winnings to whoever won. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of need to, to yeah. do that. I'm not doing yeah. this again. Yeah. And then they somehow rope you back in because they decide to keep it going. And, yeah, we need one more guy. I'll pay your entry fee. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll take a break around the corner. We're going to talk a little bit of Blue Jays baseball. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet and former Jays catcher, is going to join us. Uh, lots to talk about with Caleb. Jays start a new series with the L.A. Dodgers tonight. 8-10 start. We'll be all over it for you. That's next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. Final segment of the program today. Big Show, Russick and Rose. Russick will be back next week. I am Matt Rose. He is Peter Klein, GVP, running the board today. Patty, running the show. Mr. Dumas. For our final segment today, we're going to get into the Toronto Blue Jays a little bit. One of three against the Mariners over the weekend in uh, Toronto West, playing out in Seattle. We get down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk with Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet, and of course, former MLB catcher. Good morning, Caleb. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. Doing well. How about you guys? Oh, we got no complaints. Thanks for taking some time today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, the weekend that was for the Toronto Blue Jays, one victory, couple of losses as well. I think that the biggest question from yesterday's game was how is Alec Manoa going to perform? And in the end, I think a lot of the result was pretty good. What did you make of Manoa's return to the bump there? Yeah, I really did. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was well done. And it was needed. It was much needed. He uh, coming off of a bit of a start that for me was one of the weirdest starts I've ever seen his last start at Rogers center in that it wasn't that he pitched bad, um, but it wasn't that he pitched well. It was one of the weirdest starts in that he had a little bit of bad luck that uh, led to one thing that led to another could have gotten out of the jam a little bit quicker. Uh, A couple missed calls, uh, pitching coach, ejected and so there was kind of a lot surrounding that start so going into this one was hoping that it would get more on track in terms of the very first start he had back against Detroit where he went six innings and no runs and uh, I thought I thought the the crispness of the pitches was there I thought his location was there Um, it pitching in Seattle for the Toronto Blue Jays is is kind of like pitching Mm. at a home game and so uh, I think he probably fed off a little bit of that energy as well. And uh, this is a guy that's got a lot to prove. And knowing that that last start didn't go the way that he wanted it to, you know, he was going to come out and really wanted to kind of set the tone. I thought that uh, that that what he did yesterday was a, a continued building block, whereas the start before, I think it was more of just a stuck in neutral. And if this guy continues to to have building block starts, 
for the next uh, four or five weeks. You just you just don't know what can happen. He, he gains a lot of confidence. Now, before you know it, you might have that old Alec Manoa right back. When a pitcher is having a season like Alec is having, what is kind of the the checklist that you look for in a start to say things are moving in the right direction? Yeah, for him especially, it, it's about the base on balls for me, giving up uh, free passes. And that'll tell me that, A, he, he, he is a, a little bit timid in terms of getting in the zone and being able to attack inside the zone. There's two type of, types of pitchers in the big leagues, guys that can get you out in the zone and guys that can't get you out in the zone. And so the guys that can't, they rely on that kind of nibbling. Their, their pitches are always one or two inches outside of the zone. And then there's guys that just have incredible stuff, and they just try and fill it up. Well, Alec Manoa, with his stuff last year, was always in the zone and making pitches that – uh, would appear to be right in the zone, float right out of it. The walks have been an absolute disaster for him this year, and that's what I look for. Is he is he in the zone because he feels like his stuff, uh, confidence-wise, can get guys out in the zone, or is he not sure and is he kind of moving around the zone because he's trying to reduce hard contact and he's not sure about the late life and the action and if it's uh, – it's really moving like it should. So when I when I watch him pitch, it's it's pretty obvious. Like is he is he throwing it in the zone with conviction, with a little bit of late life? The the swings major leaguers give you, they will tell you if the late life is there. You'll be able to tell that it's it's uh they're late on the fastball. They'll they'll look uncomfortable. They'll be they'll take some really wild swings on the breaking ball. Those are just a few things that I really look at uh, when it comes to Manoa. From a catcher standpoint, can you get that kind of between the lines in the middle of a game? Like, if it seems like it's going a bit sideways, do you just tell him how awesome he is and try to hope that that helps? Or are there a couple of things that catchers can do mid-game to, to try to get that kind of thing back on track? Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of different tricks of the trade. And that's that, to me, is the description of the job. That's exactly what you're trying to do. That's what you're paid to do. And certain guys need a kick in the pants certain guys need a, a, a pat on the back and some guys need a stern talking to others need the opposite it's a very difficult position as a catcher but there's great reward in being able to see something starting to trend one way and be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat so to speak or grab the magic eight ball and find the perfect thing to say to this guy to either get him back in the zone or continue to be aggressive or change the mindset from fear to uh, uh, aggressiveness. Some, some of these things that seems pretty simple, but in the heat of battle, a catcher can really do a lot for that pitcher. And that's part of the position that I loved. I absolutely loved that was trying to get the absolute most out of a pitcher, especially in a game where they have some good stuff and it's starting to get sideways and you can try and get that train back on the track. Sometimes it's just throwing certain pitches and certain counts. Um, being animated back behind the plate is a big thing when you have a big count and you've got a, a big pitch that needs to be made in a, in a big spot. Sometimes you'll see that catcher like do a fist pump or, you know, smack the glove and just give uh, nonverbal cues that, that bring energy. I love that type of stuff. So yeah, that's, it's a, it's a fun job. It's a fun gig that, that being a catcher is, um, we'll take all the credit and none of the blame. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that balance. That's good. Um, I think there were a lot of people who thought that the, the Blue Jays maybe rushed Manoa back after some of the early season struggles, but could having the, the catchers like Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk um, be able to kind of get him back on track in that way, maybe in a way that, with all due respect to whoever's catching in the Blue Jays minor league system, but maybe having a Danny Jansen there instead of like a 21-year-old from Lynn Benton Community College or something like that, could, could having him <laughs> on the big league team helping help out maybe a bit in that way? Yeah, they they can help. They're going to they're going to be able to give him feedback that the other catchers in the system are probably not going to be able to give. It's just such a different animal. The big leagues is in that you you know what's going to work and you know catcher-wise what you're looking for, what what you need to see. I remember uh, being a minor league catcher and catching a bunch of guys that were on rehab and they would say certain things, and I, I didn't quite understand. I would say, "Well, that, that's a that was a really good pitch. You know, it got our double A hitter out. What, what what are you upset about?" And they would often say, "Ah, that's that that wouldn't work in the big leagues. You know, like that that ball would get fouled off or crushed or something." And I, I had no idea. Just going, I'm not sure about that because it just it just produced a positive result here in double A. And sure enough, they were right as I progressed up, as I went to the big leagues, you start to see that it's, it's just played a certain way, unlike anything you can experience in the minor leagues. And so being down there, he's got the, uh, all the tech, Manoa would have all the tech to, to be able to verify what, what he needs to see in terms of spin, in terms of uh, location, angles, uh, release points, heights, all of the technical stuff. He would have that, but that catcher feedback is, uh, is pretty important. Like, Hey, I know the number is saying this, but I just don't feel that late life on the pitch. That's something that I would probably try to be to to be honest about and convey to him. Whereas if you've got a very very young catcher, they're not going to understand exactly what he needs to to see or feel uh, to get back to major league caliber. So yeah, being able to to be up there and, and throw to these guys and get real true honest feedback is uh, is definitely something that he's been able to to lean on. Sounds like we might see Hyunjin Ryo sooner rather than later. What's a realistic expectation for him coming back and playing his first major league games with a pitch clock? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. He's he's kind of been a quick uh, quick worker. Most of those crafty lefties guys that don't don't throw as hard. They might throw four or five different pitches, which is Hyunjin Ryu. They they have to work hard. They've got to keep their defense engaged. They've got to work quick. They've got to be able to get in the zone early and often, put the defense on, um, keep the defense on their toes so that they can make plays. Those guys, they're going to they're gonna rack up some strikeouts, but more than not, they're going to, to let the defense work. And I'm interested to see what the Blue Jays do just in general. There's been rumblings of a potential six-man rotation. Um I'm, I'm interested to see how, how he comes back and, and what they decide to do. They, you could potentially put a starter into the bullpen into kind of more of a long relief role to pair uh, with, with Richards down there as a potential long man. Maybe it's Kikuchi, but I mean, he's Kikuchi arguably threw one of his better games of the year uh, a couple of days ago. So, yes, I do, I do believe that Ryu has, has, has some value. And he can bring kind of that soft tossing lefty. It's a different look uh, in today's game. So many 
guys are throwing power, 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 power sliders, uh, power fastballs, power curves. Everything is just hard, harder, and hardest. The ability, the ability to be able to back off to uh, go the reverse is, in my opinion, going to be interesting to watch because so many guys are just so adjusted to that super fast speed and break right now that I think having that ability to, to pull back a little bit is going to be valuable. So I'm anxious to see. It's been a long road for Hunjin Ryu. I have seen him quite a bit in Toronto. He looks great. He looks probably the best I've ever seen him in terms of uh, physically. And, of course, he's the same guy emotionally. Just the uh, big smile, the, the the jokester. He's he's still the same guy. But I, I'm anxious to see how they deploy him and uh, how they kind of maneuver their roster to, to fit him in. Former MLB catcher Caleb Joseph joining us here on the big show. Um, the other kind of interesting pitcher of late has been Nate Pearson. Uh, got sent down recently. Yeah. What are you making of the what we've seen lately, and what is kind of the next step for this guy? Yeah, I was I was actually talking to Nate a week or so ago when I was in Toronto in the homestand and was just telling him, "Hey, keep keep doing it. You're you're." You're in a good spot in terms of just your first full rookie season. You're you're doing it right. You're having some some really good highs and and you're you're feeling some bumps uh, bumps that are inevitable as a young player in the big leagues. And it just seems like after that conversation, I must have jinxed him or something. Uh, <laughs> but this is this is the growing pains. This is the growing pains of the big leagues in that you know the anybody can go in and have initial success in the big leagues and the league is going to figure you out. And then it's just a battle of constant adjustments and who can continue to adjust, who can become unpredictable, who, even though the other side knows maybe what is coming or uh, what you throw that you can still have success. And I just think the margin for error with, uh, with Nate, because of the, inability to really, really pinpoint locate, um, the margin for error is pretty small for him. He's got to be able to really get the fastball in a certain spot because it's, it doesn't have like a lot of sinking action. It's, it's pretty straight. It's a pretty true fastball, which is fine. It's a high velocity fastball getting close to that triple digit, but that's got to that fastball is going to have to be located. Absolutely very, very close to pinpoint located and then play that slider off of it to have sustained success since sustained success, meaning he can go months and months and months in the big leagues and play at a high performance because these people are now starting to figure out what he has. They're able to dive into the numbers. They can simulate certain things on a machine that he has to make it feel like you're actually having an at bat off of this player so that's when continuing to locate and continuing to reinvent yourself really, really matters. And if he falls behind, he's going to have to throw a really quality pitch. And if you, if you hang the breaking ball, it's one of those breaking balls that it, it's, if you catch it out front because it's spinning so hard, you can really power it. Same thing with the fastball. If you get, if you get put into a position where you've got to really throw a fastball, it has to be located because of the, the type of fastball that he throws, even though it's 97, 98, it's going to have to be located. So I think his showing so far, um, to be honest with you, I, I think it's been good. It's uh, as of late, it, it has uh, 
it has gone sideways a little bit. And of course the um, acquisition of uh, Cabrera uh, really kind of pushed him out, so to speak. Uh, but rookie season, I think, I think it's been a success. Hopefully he's able to come back up at some point and, uh, and hit the ground running and finish it out uh, very well because it's, it's a good intriguing arm to have in the bullpen. Looking at the, the Blue Jays here uh, in kind of a, a bigger picture view, we're just over a week away from the trade deadline. For a, a Toronto team that's in contention right now, what would be at the, the top of your wish list for the, the Jays to go out and maybe add as we approach this deadline? Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. It's Nelson Cruz and or Cody Bellinger. I feel like they're probably in a pretty decent spot with the pin. I know this past series kind of showed uh, a couple weaknesses. I feel like they probably could have won all three of those games, and the pin has been phenomenal. The starting pitching has been phenomenal. They have uh, they've done such a good job keeping this team intact. Um, there is some talk about them bringing in potentially another maybe eighth inning type guy for the bullpen. You can't ever have enough or too many of those type of guys in a bullpen. But if I had to pick it for me, it would be, it would be a Belgian type, a left-handed bat sandwiched right in the middle of that lineup that just continues to slot everybody in their perfect position. You look at the Blue Jays, uh, you look at their bullpen and they have the same pieces yet the acquisition of an Eric Swanson just kind of put everybody in a little bit more of a different spot and set people up a little bit differently. They gave them another tool to, to add to the mix and matching. I think Bellinger can kind of be that same type of bat where, I mean, you look at Brandon Bell, everybody's been kind of hating on Brandon Bell. Uh, but I mean, he's, he's 800 OPS. It's not bad. Like that's, that's pretty good. So, but you add a Bellinger type now, instead of hitting belt, maybe potentially third, you talk about maybe being able to move him down to five or six. You can start to really maneuver that lineup. It starts to lengthen out even more. And I, I would really love to see him. Uh, it just the question is, do the Jays have enough to uh, fancy the appetite of of the, the, the Cubs. And that to me is going to be the biggest hurdle for the Blue Jays. It's not even necessarily what they want or what they should go get. It's do they have pieces to go make it happen. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for general manager Ross Atkins is what can he deal away and what is he willing to? And I think we can have a wish list as long as we want uh, as Jays fans, but I'm just not sure there's a ton of, uh, pieces in the cupboard that are going to actually get some of these trades done. What's this time of year like for a player? Like we were in here before uh, fantasy adding three or four guys that you brought up a couple of names, which is fun for fans. But if your guy 24, 25, 26 on the roster uh, and not particularly looking forward to riding a bus again, I, I would imagine this would be <laughs> a bit stressful. So, so what's this like in the, the locker room this time of year? Yeah, fortunately as a catcher, once you kind of solidify yourself, as uh, one of the two guys, unless both of you are just absolutely horrendous, you, you're pretty much not going anywhere. So this this part of the year was um, not as stressful for me as it as it was for other guys. But you made a great point. Yeah, that 24th, 25th, 26th man on a good team that you know is going to add at the deadline. You know, 
they're going to pad kind of the bottom part of the roster or they're going to put somebody at the top part of the roster and it's going to smush and sandwich everybody down. Yeah, it's you're trying as best as you can as that player to make a case that you don't have to go get somebody else that kind of I'm your guy. I think about uh, what, what Luplo did in his first game back. He drove in a run against the, the Padres and, and made, a, made a nice play in the outfield, scored another run in his first game back. Like trying anything to be that right-handed bat um, off the bench or whatever they could potentially be looking for. But, yeah, you, you kind of have this idea that the time is ticking and it's not if, but it's more or less when they acquire somebody that you're probably going back. Um, and that's out of your control. And the quicker in baseball that you learn that you can't worry about things that are out of your control, the, the better off you're going to be. But it, it does. It stinks because you work so hard all year to try and maintain a position on the team. And, and because the team is doing well, you know they're going to add and they're probably going to push your roster spot out. But um, it's a business, and everybody knows that going into it. And I had an old coach one time say, well, if you don't like it, play better. So <laughs> if you hit 330 and maybe had a 850 OPS as a bench guy, which is is impossible, by the way, maybe they wouldn't have to go get somebody. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. But, yeah, don't like it, play better. That's the response in the minor leagues, the very popular response in the minor leagues to any sort of complaint ever. Caleb, uh, enjoy the ten ten Eastern starts while they're in LA. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're all gonna we all love this time of year when we see those teams on the uh, on the schedule. You get the you get the Keurig and the, the K cups yeah. fired up because they're gonna be going through them all night and everything. This everything just totally flips on upside down and uh, yeah, man. The West Coast. Oh, I hate. I hate it. I hate it. Everybody's like, "Oh yeah, it's so fun out there. The weather's great." No, screw it. We got it. Our hours just are totally screwed up. So, I hate. I hate this type of uh, this type of the season right here. This part of the season. Put a pot on, man. It's gonna be fun. Hey, I appreciate the chat as always. Hey. Yep, you got it. Thank you. There you go, Caleb Joseph, uh, former MLB catcher and analyst on Sportsnet, down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guests. Hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. That'll pretty much do it. Yeah. First show blew by. Yeah, it did. We were talking about that during the break. This is... I like this little 6-9 to nine thing. It's yeah, great. Your day's done now. Yeah, it's awesome. It's not that hard. No. Just come in. It's not nearly as hard as I make it look. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. Or as it sounds. Right. Yeah. Uh, that'll be it for us tomorrow. Chasing a couple of things. Uh, we know for sure Tommy Wheelan's going to join us. Yeah, manager of Cavalry, Cavalry FC will join us at, uh, in the 830 as uh, his boys are uh, first on the table as they get ready for Ottawa on the weekend. We're going to chase some Women's World Cup. Yeah, Haley McGoldrick uh, from Sportsnet. She's all over uh, the Women's World Cup as Canada will uh, play their second group stage match on Wednesday. Is that going to be like during our show, right? Uh, 6 a.m. start on Wednesday, yeah. so we'll be able to throw it up on here and watch it. Excellent. And yeah. then uh, we're also looking into a Slam ball guest. Yes. Can't wait for that. Yeah. So a whole bunch of things. If that fails, hopper. we should just play slam ball against each other. <laughs> just keep one v one until there's a winner. If there is a facility 
We can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if there's a facility. It's like bobsleigh. You have, you have to if you want to like practice bobsleigh, you have to live in like one of like three cities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just like oh yeah, just going out on the street to to play yeah. some some road bobsledding. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they got basketball nets at those like trampoline parks. Like yeah. Stream Air Park, flying squirrels. Yeah, they probably don't yeah. let you just hit each other. Probably, probably not. <laughs> let is of, one thing we can do it for a yeah. bit. You know, <laughs> we'll put a couple nine year olds on a poster. <laughs> no yeah. problem. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the damage we can do. Uh, a little bit more coming up uh, 9 to 10. We mm. got stamps later stamps today, support. Patty. Yeah, stamps uh, back, and we'll break down this uh, this loss from yesterday, and we'll see uh, what happens uh, talking-wise. Any injuries? No James Vodder's left. We'll see what uh, what's uh, what's happening there. We got uh, Ryan Huskuk hour coming yeah, up I don't, at, I, I at know, 1 o'clock. Do we know no what that is? No idea what that is. I don't know if it's like a... We uh, didn't get a message from uh, RT Boy. Uh, I don't know if oh, it's... Oh, RT Boy. RT Boy. I don't know if it's like a, a compilation of like Huska interviews. I assume that's what it is because I don't yeah, think I don't he's think coming Huska's in. easy. Ryan going to come <laughs> yeah. in and do I feel like show? we would have been told if he was coming <laughs> in yeah, to do a I show. Yeah, I think so too. So. Yeah, hey, do you mind to take time out of your summer to come host an hour of uh, of radio on yeah, the show? Yeah, July 24th. you've never done in your life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just roll with it. Yeah, I, well, Pat's on vacation. Yeah. He's literally got on a bird to Europe. Yeah, we're this really digging so, deep. And <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't think he would coach. do it solo or, or with Logan or with us. So. <laughs> Sportsnet today will be Logan. That's a two. Blair and Barker at five o'clock. They're going to go for a while because the Jays and the Dodgers are at eight. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it, buddies. We will talk to you bright and early tomorrow morning. Bye. Sit, Ubu. Sit. Good dog.